My name is Joshua Potts, also known as Mr. Pottsable, always with the brother with the same mother, Aaron Potts, Super Hot Potts, and we're your favorite two black runners coming at you every single two black Tuesday. Yes, sir. We out here with the boy MJ. Like, that's all you really pretty much have to say. It's Michael Johnson. But yeah, he's a three time Olympian. He's only won gold at the Olympics. Let's put that out there. He was he was on a 58 win streak in the 400. After 93, he didn't lose the 400. He was basically unbeatable. Like, let me tell you that he's an eight time world champion. The only person in the Olympics to win the 400 and 200 double. And he did in the world championships too. Like, no biggie. Like, he's prop. He's the certified go former world record holder in the 200 and the 400 like those records looked unbeatable like golly there's too much to be said <laughs> he's on the podcast so really like michael johnson like how, how are you doing i don't even know how to greet you like to be honest like how how, how, how are you doing today on, on this day like how are you doing in february I'm doing good. Doing better after that intro. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Are you are you available for hire, man? I mean, like <laughs> when I go and do like corporate motivational, you know, events, hey. and I, you know, you could be that hype guy, man. Come out in the front, you know. <laughs> call me i'll be there i'll be there absolutely i'll be there that would be right. amazing but it truly is the honor to have you on the podcast like like we said like a really a, a certified a certified goat we had Dalila muhammad on the podcast at the end of 2020 and to see what she's been doing like you you like Dalila muhammad is a great athlete like don't get me wrong but what you have done for track and field in the 90s really set a precedent and like there's been people that have tried to try to do what you have done and like there hasn't there hasn't been a lot of people that have come close to what you've done the 400 and 200 but we want to talk about that track stuff but we also want to get to know you a little bit more on this podcast so it's definitely just going to be a great thing so but we kind of just want to start because 2020 was crazy and i don't think we can really ignore that and 2021 hasn't it's changed a little bit for the better, at least I, I would say for sure. But just like, what was one good thing from uh, 2020 that you could think you could take away from it last year? Yeah, I think, you know, yeah, certainly uh, 2020 has been incredibly challenging for, for everyone. And, um, but, you know, um, you know, throughout the whole pandemic, you know, from a business standpoint, you know, with my, my different uh, businesses, we try to, I try to encourage my team Hey, let's let's try to you know look for opportunities you know here opportunities that might come out of this this hardship and this difficulty that that we're experiencing, and you know my company Michael Johnson Performance, uh, one of my companies anyway, we we're in the business of training and supporting athletes in all different sports, and um, we had uh, a lot of athletes who were sort of stuck out there. We had uh, when the pandemic hit last year, we had about mm -hmm. 60 NFL prospective NFL athletes that were trying to get ready for the NFL pro days and combines and um, and, and nowhere to train. So, you know, we were able to yeah. to support them um, remotely, which was which was, um, you know, we were very proud of our ability to help them with that. And that was a positive that we were able to you know, give them the sort of training and support they needed with all of that uncertainty, as well as some of the Olympic athletes as well that we support yeah. that were, you know, when the pandemic first started, they didn't know, you know, if there was going to still be an Olympics or not. And, and you wonder, you know, well, is everybody else training yeah. and I don't have access to training. So we were able to support a lot of them remotely. So that was, that was good to be able to support athletes that were really absolutely going through a difficult time. Yeah, most definitely. Like, 
especially at 2020 was really hard for everybody but especially those athletes with like with those aspirations to go into better and better things a lot of things had to go on pause and talking about like that big pause in 2020 another big pause where people really had to reflect was just on all the social unrest and the social injustices that were happening last year as well starting with the killing of Ahmaud Arbery then George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and there was just a lot of stuff going on in the U.S. and especially around the world but one of the things that I really saw from from you uh, was when you posted on Instagram and really describing like your thoughts and your feelings towards it. And I kind of just want you to explain your reaction, how you were feeling, because I remember you stating how like you felt like this was like the most momentum you ever seen for this movement. And like you've you've been around for a minute. You've been you've been around for a minute and seen and seen a lot. So what was just like your response and your reaction to what you were seeing last year surrounding the social unrest and the social injustices that were happening? Yeah, I think I think just like a lot of people, you know, um, around the time of Ahmaud Arbery's murder, you know, it was just frustration um, that, you know, here we go again with another senseless and, um, you know, unnecessary and unjust situation where a black man has been targeted by, you know, in this case, white men who weren't even police officers. Um, and I think there was just a, a sense uh, by many people, and certainly myself included, that, you know, as soon as this happens, then it's already starting to get, you know, sort of be set up for, you know, how they're going to be able to get away with this. Yeah. Um, and um, which is, you know, a, a tremendous amount of frustration because we've seen it so many times. And um, I think, you know, obviously, you know, George Floyd's murder coming right behind that, um, you know, right when we're right in the middle of this pandemic, I think there was something about the fact that people were at home, you know, during that time and, and not, you know, able to sort of carry on our normal lives and busyness that made us pay even more attention to that situation. But I think that there was also something also that was um, different about George Floyd's uh, murder. On the same day, if you remember, there was a situation in Central Park with the woman, Amy Cooper, the white woman that called the yeah, police, yeah. you know, and, and falsely claimed that this black man was attacking her, you know, and knowing that she had, and it just showed, and it was all captured on, on, on cell phone video. And what it did was just showed that she knew she had this privileged position over this black man and that she could weaponize that privileged position and use it against him um, unjustly as well. And I think that really got people's attention. It just so happened that it happened on the same day. I think another thing that that, that was really uh, interesting about that as well, I heard uh, Ava DuVernay, the, the um, uh, producer, made a very interesting point. She said, you know, typically when these things happen and a black person is murdered by the police, we only see the picture uh, because it's like a, you know, a, a camera from the policeman's position or something like that. We don't see the face of the police officer. But in this situation, when that police officer had his knee on George Floyd's neck. That picture, that video just showed George Floyd's face and this white man's face at the same time with his knee on this man's neck. And it just made a different, it brought out a different emotion in people. So I think mm -hmm. all of that conspired to make people just, um, you know, sort of rise up in a way that I haven't ever seen before. And so there was just this tremendous amount of momentum around social injustice um, and the difference in this country between black people and white people that's been there forever, 
but has been highlighted um, now in a way that we hadn't seen before. So hopefully that momentum continues and it wasn't just a moment and, and, and we'll see. Yeah, I can definitely say I, I do feel like it has woken a lot of people up that were definitely asleep, that didn't know, that didn't realize like how bad this thing really is. It's it's like so bad that uh, someone, a white woman in confidence can, you know, th- believes that she can call the police on a black man and something's going to happen to him. Like she's like, this is a threat to his life. He's going to be scared if I'm saying this. And I would also want to ask you, like, with the Ahmed Aubrey, you know, the fact that he was out running, I feel like that made a, such a big impact on the running world. And when we look in the past, you know, we think about Jesse Owens at the Olympics, Tommy Smith and John Carlos at the 1968 Olympics. Track has played an integral part in social movement in the U.S. How do you feel about the the running communities? How do you feel about the running community's response to everything and how how we've handled the situation as a running community so far? Yeah, I think, you know, I think we can, you know, it's been a a tremendous outpouring of of support for Ahmaud Arbery because he was running when it happened. And um, it's something that we all know and something we've all done. Um, But I think we can always do more, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think that, you know, what we've seen, though, over the last year from the entire sporting community has been been incredible. Um, when you think about people who are like, you know, LeBron James, WNBA, the NBA, what they did last year, um, you know, Lewis Hamilton, you know, uh, the Formula One uh, champion, you know, using yeah. their platform. And these are people with huge platforms, you know, uh, you know, out there being courageous and using their platforms to speak out against uh, racism and, and speak out against the social injustices that we we're seeing. And I think what it has done is given a lot of other athletes who don't have necessarily as big a platform um, some space. Some sort of been like, okay, there's some safe space, safe space for me too to use my my platform as well. And I think that you know that's been really really powerful. I think what we saw last year well, from the WNBA, um, you know, working together to to really, you know, oust one of their own owners from from a Senate seat, you know, yeah. and, and, and get get someone and help get someone elected to come in there that, you know, is aligned with their views of, of where the country should be going as opposed to someone who's on, you know, the the other side of that, you know, and many of us would argue the wrong side of that. You know, I think that was that was amazing to see. So I think the sporting community has been really, really instrumental in leading um, on on these issues. And just speaking on like that platform, I think it's it's kind of crazy because me and Aaron, we can't really understand the magnitude of, of that platform. And I think that you're like the perfect person, especially in the running community that could understand like what comes with that and the weight. Because like I said in the beginning of the intro, like you're, you're a certified GOAT, like for sure, like in, in that conversation. So could you kind of just speak on like, what was it like once you were able to get like that platform and like, what were like the pressures that came with that? If you were trying to like, trying to, to stay within a box or like trying to stay you know, trying to get out of the box what was it like trying to manage that platform and trying to use what you want to be heard like for the good or the betterment of whatever issues that you want to speak on yeah i mean it's 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 i mean you can you can only look back to you know throughout history and see when athletes have have used their platform to speak out on any sort of social issues or any political issues 
you know, it's always risky. You look at what happened to uh, Tommy Smith and John Carlos, you know, yeah. they were, they were banned, you know, from, from the Olympic team after that and, 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 um, and penalized. You look at you know, Gwen Berry, you know, mm-hmm. um, just a couple of years ago in 2018, you know, um, you know, punished for, for, for taking a stand. And I think athletes have always known that. And I mean, we've always known when you have sponsors and companies who, you know, don't want to rub anyone wrong or get any sort of bad publicity or negative publicity. And of course, the biggest one is Colin Kaepernick. You know, right now, you know, you've got people applauding, you know, Colin Kaepernick and, and companies. But, um, you know, at the time, you know, he was um, blackballed basically from the NFL, you know, yeah. and, um, and and people, athletes will see that and will will know that, yeah, there is a danger to speaking out. You have this platform, but, um, you know, you, you know, you have to be very careful in terms of what you, you use it for, because there could be a price to pay. Um, and I think, you know, I, I, I heard, I uh, saw the other day that uh, Kara Goucher tweeted uh, that, you know, there are all of these people, you know, her followers on social media saying basically that, um, you know, they always saw sports as a, a outlet from all the political issues. And so they're not happy with her for speaking out and using her platform to talk about social issues because mm-hmm. they don't want her talking about that. They look to her for you know, entertainment, you know, and their release and, you know, their, their break away from all of these things. Yeah. And, and she made the comment that, you know, well, this is who I've always been. Um, and, and I thought that that was interesting because, you know, you know, my response was, you know, there are some things that you shouldn't want to be breaking away from. There are some things that you shouldn't be wanting to, yeah. oh, I don't want to, you know, talk about social injustice. Well, it's very convenient for you, you know, yeah. but we got to live this. You know, so, um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, it's, it's, you know, athletes know that, you know, that there is a danger to it. Um, and that's why I think that it's been great to see some of the really big names who have a huge platform, um, you know, really speaking out and using their platform. And, and, and now other athletes will, will feel safer in doing so. Um, and I think that you're starting to see it, I mean, obviously, Nike's, you know, one of my partners and, you know, mm. been with that company forever. But I was very, very happy to see them sticking with, with Colin Kaepernick throughout this entire situation. And when you see companies starting, big corporations starting to get on board and support uh, athletes and their um, their uh, uh, outspoken nature to to uh, to support these issues, that it gives it even more um, a legitimacy, but also um, gives athletes uh, a feeling of, of relief and, and feeling of safeness that they can actually, you know, speak out without being, uh, without being, um, you know, outcast and, and without being penalized for it. Yeah. It's a scary thing when you run for team USA and you're afraid to, you know, talk back, back, um, bad against them or anything that's, you know, not saying that they're the best for everything they do. One thing I, just shortly I wanted to touch on too, is like, what you're saying with Kara Goucher, it's funny to me when people say like to someone like Kara Goucher too, it's like, I'm, I come to you to escape, you know, it's politics. Like, I don't want to hear that. But I feel like most of the people that say that it's like, you don't, you're not even having to escape. You don't have to escape politics. Like you're already, you're already privileged. Like, what are you escaping? Like mm-hmm. for someone that is black, for example, like 
you can't really escape politics. Like it's a part of your, it's a part of your life and it's gonna, it's gonna, uh, it's gonna either give you, mostly gonna give you disadvantages from how this country was made. We could go deeper into, into that, but that's another podcast. Hey guys, I just wanna jump in real quick and tell you guys two things, two really big things that's really just getting us excited about the Two Black Runners podcast. Number one is that all our podcasts are now viewable on YouTube. So if you wanna watch the video portion, go ahead and check out to our YouTube right now, Running Report, or literally just search up Two Black Runners and you will find our newest podcast that you can also watch and see our faces, everything like that. Just get a better experience, I feel like, if that's what you like listening to a podcast and why that's all possible is our second thing is because of tracksmith tracksmith has been sponsoring with the two black runners podcast over this past month and this boston-based running apparel brand has done so much for us and like their desire to celebrate both the history and the evolving culture of running is why they're direct in line with running report and two black runners and because tracksmith is so awesome bro they're offering all of our listeners $15 off your first purchase of $75 or more when you use the code culture15 at tracksmith.com. So get yourself a sweater, hand warmers, a shirt, running shirt, shorts, sweats, whatever. Find it at tracksmith.com and use that code culture15 and you get $15 off first purchase $75. Come on, let's get back to the podcast. I also wanted to talk to you too because like, You've been very vocal. I feel like some people don't notice, but you're very vocal on Twitter and on Instagram about about the things that you're passionate about. And one of those things is track and field. And you recently spoke up about the quality of the first American Track League, which has since improved dramatically. And it's been amazing to see that develop. But I just wanted to ask you, like, have you always been like into that entertainment aspect of the sport? Because I see you talk about it a lot. Yeah, no, I, I have, I think. Um... I think, um, you know, obviously I owe everything I have to this sport, you know, mm-hmm. so I love it, you know, like nothing else. And um, I've always, um, since I retired from the sport, you know, I'm obviously a fan of the sport, you know, and and and, and, and love the sport for everything that it that offers and, um, and very supportive of, of the athletes that, that have come after me. And I see these athletes you know, out there, the most amazing athletes, the most amazing performances. And it's it's frustrating that people don't know and people don't appreciate how amazing these athletes are. And, you, you know, and, and what's frustrating for me is when people who are also fans will blame those people for not understanding and saying, it's a shame they don't understand. Well, if you don't provide it, you know, a platform for them to be able to to see and appreciate how amazing the athletes in track and field are, then you can't blame those people. You can't blame yeah. sports fans. You can't blame people for not being able to appreciate what they don't see and what isn't presented to them. So it's always a source of frustration for me. It's a source of frustration for me when I see amazing athletes in this sport who are you know incredibly gifted working really hard some of the best athletes in the world and they can't make a living that's frustrating mm-hmm. you know and um and this sport has just been so stuck for so long you know 
between being a professional sport and being an amateur sport. You know, yeah. when these athletes, you know, are professional in terms of their commitment, in terms of their talent, in terms of their hard work and dedication to this sport. But the, the sport keeps them stuck in this sort of semi-professional, somewhat amateur, somewhat professional state. And that's, that's a shame. What I really liked how you said, like, there's sport fans that don't understand what's going on. Because I was thinking about today on my run before we came on here, like, man, like, because we're going to talk eventually about, like, the golden age of people called, like, track and field back in the 90s when when you were running, when there were so many great athletes for that had so, long, so much longevity. And I feel like these 20s could have, like, that same thing with the stars of, like, a Michael Norman and a... Uh, definitely like a Grant Holloway and a Sidney McLaughlin and a Noah Lyles, like if they're able to withstand and that longevity comes for over these next 10 years, we could have that similar thing. And like the sport fans not realizing like last two weeks have been crazy in track and field. And like Grant Holloway, when he ran that uh, 732 and the 60 meter hurdles, he was number six on SportsCenter top 10. And I'm all like, how was that number six? on SportsCenter Top 10. Like, this man just got an American record and Steph Curry doing a behind-the-back pass is better than that. I'm all like, that doesn't even make, that doesn't even make sense. So, like, the complete, like, just understanding, like, I don't understand how a dunk can be better than a, a, a better than an American record. Like, it, it really doesn't comprehend to me. Like, if you're going to show it, like, at least put it number one. You know you know what I mean? And yeah. I'll just be on my soapbox real quick. But I also just wanted to ask, like, becoming like a fan of the sport like where did that really like come did you start becoming a fan when you when you were a kid or was like was it when you become older where you really like sought out and wanted to like watch track and field and be entertained by it um you know i mean it, it started uh with you know from a participation standpoint just you know okay. playing all sorts of sports growing up in, in south dallas you know in texas you know just we were playing sports all the time we were running you know we we're just racing all of the time and um, I mean, I love sports and I played all kinds of sports growing up, but, but, but track was always, you know, special for me. It was just something about running and I wasn't necessarily, you know, a fan from the standpoint of watching it on TV because I didn't see it that much on TV. It was just participating in the sport. I just loved it. And, uh, as I got older and started to get into, you know, my high school college career for sure, started to then study a lot of the different athletes and sprinters in particular that came before mm -hmm. me and start getting familiar with, you know, people like Tommy Smith and John Carlos and Jesse Owen and, um, and just, you know, you know, started going down that rabbit hole, man. And just, you know, next thing you know, I'm just like, you know, looking for any information I can find on all of these different sprinters back in the day, you know, the Bob Hayes and all of these different folks. And, and um, yeah, and, and just, you know, I've always loved it. And of course, having had the, um, the the privilege of being able to to be a professional in the sport and being exposed to it um, throughout you know the late 80s you know uh, as I was spectating and, and watching while I was in high school and college and then in the 90s being in my own career um, you know just continued to fall in love more and more and more with this sport. Who were who were some runners that you were watching uh, in the in the 80s that you kind of looked up to or someone you kind of like modeled uh, your your sprint your sprint uh, tactics after or anyone that was like you saw yourself in when you were younger so you know um, I mentioned Tommy Smith who you know was you know people always talk about you know 
me being the first male athlete, you know, or you'll hear people even say, well, Michael was the first athlete to double in the two and the four, which is not true. Mm. Tommy Smith was a great 400 meter runner, you know, and 200 meter runner. Um, and, um, and so I always looked up to him and sort of thought about, you know, Tommy, just looking at his career, obviously he was long retired when I started my career. And then there was Valerie Briscoe, uh, 84, 200, 400, you know, I mean, Valerie was amazing as a as an athlete as well, and and had doubled as well. So, as much as I like the fact that people always talk about me being the first, mm-hmm. I was far from the first. Now, um, I was able to obviously do something that Tommy wasn't able to win. That he won the, the two hundred at the Olympics, didn't run the four hundred. Uh, Lee Evans won that that Olympics in sixty eight and the four hundred. But um, but but obviously, you know, uh, respected those athletes and and thought, you know. Yeah, that's, you know, it, it was Tommy Smith was my inspiration behind not being just stuck as a 200 meter runner. I uh, thought, yeah, I can be a great 400 meter runner as well. And and, and knowing that he had, uh, he had never had a championship, hadn't run both, but he had run both in his career and ran fast in both, uh, you know, that was an inspiration for me. And also speaking a little bit more on just how like that entertainment side of the sport, like right after you retired, you kind of you stayed in the sport, but you stayed into the sport on the side of like entertainment and then well, managing and entertainment as well. Just was there always when you were coming out in 2000 and 2001, did the thought starts creeping in your mind? Like, I want to stay in this sport and eventually I want to start commentating with BBC was like, were those things that you're already thinking about before I can stay in and try and make the sport better, try and bring more to the sport after I leave? Um, I mean, I always I, I always knew that I would stay involved in sports. Um, so um, when I started my sports performance company, you know, business was always, you know, I studied business in university. When I went to Baylor, that's what I got my degree in. I've always been intrigued by business. So I knew when I retired that, you know, entrepreneurship would be something that I would I would mm. pursue and um, uh, and sports has always been 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 uh, a passion of mine so uh, in forming Michael Johnson performance I was able to bring those two together um, you know track and field as a sport is a very difficult sport to to it's a it's a difficult sport you know to compete in and make a living it's an even more difficult sport to try to sustain any sort of business around so I, you know, expanded out, you know, in terms of my business, you know, to be a business about sports and to help athletes in sport. And I had a, a lot of connections in NFL and, and um, that allowed me to, 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 to build my business uh, a lot on that sport and then expand into other sports and including uh, track and field as a sport as well. Um, so, you know, that certainly was, was um, you know, something that I, I, I wanted to pursue and and I've been fortunate to have a, a great deal of success with that. And, and in terms of, um, you know, my television punditry, you know, and being a television commentator, it's the same thing, you know. Um, you know, if I was just a track commentator, it would be a really difficult uh, uh, yeah. career to build, you know. So being able to expand out in my role with BBC and, and cover other different things outside of just track and field has allowed me to be able to, to have success as a television pundit um, and then, um, but allowed me to stay involved in the sport of track and field as well. Yeah, and I would say too, like MJ, like everybody know you, like you, you, you're bigger than the sport. Like that's the type, that's why we're so excited to have you too. It's just like, you are one of those athletes that 
people people recognize that might not know much about track especially in in your era like i feel like we're gonna get to this later i feel like you were like to us like how how bolt was like you were that big you were that guy fastest man in the world four two crazy so that's cool to hear that but i want to ask you uh what is like one thing if you could just add you know one spice to track and field to kind of help it out and take it to the next level what would that be what do you think is like a, one of the main missing pieces that is constant in our sport you know it's it, 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 it unfortunately it's going to take way more than one thing yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know what? And I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna preface this with with saying this. I mean, like you guys touched on it earlier. You know, there was a lot going on on Twitter, which is you know not the best format for debate, to be honest. But there was a lot going on on Twitter. You know, back when that first American Track League uh, meeting came on, and, and I made the comment that hey, it's good to see track and field back on TV, but you know this telecast is 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 not great, and I hope it gets better. And you know, and there was a lot of debate around that. You know, and you know, and, and you know. What I've come to realize is that, you know, I come from a perspective when it comes to track and field. All of those people on that debate, all of those people that were talking, you know, all those people on Twitter, the one thing we all have in common, we all care about this sport. We all love this sport. We all want to see these great athletes be celebrated. We want to see them, you know, not behind Steph Curry's dunk, you know, on Sports Center, but number Come one on. when you break a world record. We all want to see yes. those things, right? Yes. Yeah. Having established that, I know my perspective is, is is probably a bit different. You know, for one, for me, I can say, you know, I don't know what anyone else's perspective is, but my perspective comes from a, a place of I'm always striving for excellence, always. You know, that's that's how I uh, went about my career. That's you know why you know I, I attribute a lot of my success and that consistency, uh, you know, over those years to you know, focusing on excellence. I mean, this is going to sound a little bit arrogant, and maybe I could have won some of those championships without running as fast as I did. But I probably mm -hmm. wouldn't have won some of those championships if I wasn't focused on being the best I can be, that excellence, be the best I can be, run the fastest race I can run. That's what I was focused on, as opposed to, well, how fast do I have to run to beat Otto Bolt? Yeah. How fast do I have to run to beat Frankie Fredericks? Yeah, yeah. That's not, that's not excellence. So I was focused on excellence. So I take, when it comes to my business, I, we hold ourselves, I hold us to a very high standard. We're always focusing on excellence. If we don't achieve excellence, no, we're not killing ourselves. We're not, you know, dogging ourselves, but we, we're not happy. We're not satisfied with that. So when I think about this sport and I think about where it should be and where I would like to see it be, how I would like to see it presented, good enough isn't enough. You know, exactly. or just being happy that, hey, you know what, I can't, I, I'm not built that way to look at a television production on TV where it's, you know, not very good at all. And it's not highlighting and shining on these athletes in the way that they deserve to be. I can't look at that and say, well, it's good that we even just have some track on TV. So that's cool. That's not me. Yeah. And I'm not built yeah. that way. Right. And I think that, you know, so my perspective as well comes from, you know, having successfully built builds the businesses, you know, having been fortunate to have a successful, financially successful career in this sport, which is rare. And then having been around professional sports, you know, when I was competing as an athlete um, in the sport, my best friend played in the NFL. 
um, my group of closest friends, two other of those played in the NFL at the time. So I'm comparing myself to them and I'm seeing how they're being treated as professional athletes. And it's like, well, I'm a professional athlete as well. They're looking up to me saying, man, you're the best in the world. Yeah. All right. Well, so if I'm the best in the world, right. And, you know, got friends that's playing in the NFL and they're sitting on the bench in their sport, you know, but they're making more money than me. And then we go to the club. Everybody knows who they are and they don't know who I am. Something's wrong. That is. Right. Something's wrong. That's right? a problem. That's Something's an issue. Wrong. That is definitely a problem. But ain't nobody going to do anything about that but me. I'm the only one. It's not It's not dude at the club not knowing who I am. It's not his fault that he don't know because he don't. when he turns on TV on Sunday, he's going to see these guys playing on the NFL. He ain't going to see me. That's not his fault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You yeah. know? Um, so I've always understood that and I've always appreciated that you're going to get what you go out there and get. Value is important. If you provide value to ESPN, to SportsCenter, then they're going to make you the number one top 10 play because you're providing value. At the end of the day, they got to show value to their viewers. 100%. If their viewers, if their viewers love the NBA, then that dunk is always going to go ahead of a world record. Right? It's all about value and it's all about marketing. And I was and, part of a, 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 an investment group. We bought the Dallas Mavericks back in the 90s and then we sold them. I learned watching from that side as well, being an owner on the sports team, how it was all about marketing. We have to show value to sponsors. We have to show value to television. I was, NBA has a, a, a the NBA owners have a, a, a competition committee. Every year they're meeting I was part of some of these meetings. Every year, they're meeting, trying to figure out, well, how do we make this product more uh, effective, better for the viewers, better for the fans, better for television, so we can continue to charge more money? We're not doing that in track and field. We're not doing that in track and field. So my perspective is completely different. I understand that in order to get sponsors, in order to get television, you have to make yourself valuable and you have to understand what people want to see. It's not about just about us as the track fans. <laughs> we, we, we love, we, we'll watch every second yeah. of the 10,000 meters and we yeah. want to see it and we want it on TV. Okay, you can put that on TV, but you go out and ask all of these people out here in that 18 to 34 year old targeted demographic, do you want to see every second of the 10,000 meters? If the answer is yes, then great. Put that on TV. If the answer is no, you got to make some hard decisions and say, hey, you know what? We're not going to do that. But as track fans, what we do is, is as soon as somebody says, hey, let's change something about the sport to make it better. No, we can't change it. No, let's not change it. Don't change it. Okay. So I kind of just sit back and I go, you know, I mean, I know what sells and I know that this ain't selling and it's, and it's a shame for these athletes. It definitely is a shame. And I think you hit every single nail, nail on the head with everything you said right there. And I just also think like there's so much tweaking that we can do to our sport because we can leave the Olympics and the world championships, how they are. That's, that's tradition every single year, but throughout the year, whether it's, you know, making a track meet that's you know only sprints or or distance or we need like some 
people coming together, like meet directors coming together, like you're saying, like the NBA owners do. But like one of the biggest things with the American Track League would upset me when I saw the first ep- well, the first the first race was just like if we don't make these track meets good, then like brands aren't going to no one's going to want to invest in it. Like if it's just for the track fans, like we have to make it palatable for everybody, especially if it's up against, you know, the NFL, the NBA It has to be something that people want to watch, because it's like if you watch a track meet, you know, and only three people in the only five or six people in the 60 are actually sponsored. It's like there's so many brands out there and it's like, bro, like, why, why wouldn't you sponsor someone to run a race that's on ESPN? Cause nobody watches, cause nobody watches the race. It's yeah, like, that's, that's, the, that's the question that you have to ask is yeah. Why, why are people not watching? Why does ESPN, you know, why, why did ESPN not um, bring their own, you know, production crew to televise, you know, and to produce that meet, you know, everybody yeah. was saying, Hey, you know, you know, uh, Paul Doyle put money, took money out of his own pocket to do that. He shouldn't have to. That's yeah. what we should be asking. You know, we should we should be asking, well, why did he have to? Why why wasn't there? Why wasn't he able to get any sponsors? Why aren't any sponsors wanting to actually sponsor this track meet? These are professional athletes. They're amazing. They're the greatest in the world. Why doesn't anybody want to want to sponsor that track meet? Why are there athletes in here don't, who, who can't find sponsors? We should be asking those questions. At the end of the day, though, in order for all of this to change, the sport, including the athletes in the sport, the fans of the sport, the federations, all of us have to make some sacrifices. We're not going to be able to get everything that we want. You know, as soon as World Athletics said, hey, you know what? We got to try to fit these, these, these one-day meetings into a tighter television window, which means that every event isn't going to be able, we're not going to be able to have every single event at these meets. People got outraged. No, you mm-hmm. got to have all of the events. You hear jumpers and field eventers saying, hey, you know what? We, we should be on TV more. We should have every jump on TV. I get it. You know, I mean, that's your event and, and, and you're passionate about it, but that's just not practical. It is a very, I, I'm on that side as well. I've been in television, you know, as a commentator in, in, in track and field meets for 20 years. I understand how difficult it is to get all of these events on TV. Mm-hmm. It's just impossible. It's impossible to do it. So to your point, you know, Aaron, about, you know, maybe you have meets that don't have all of the events, you know, because I, I wonder as well if you're going to find people out there who really truly who's not a track fan, who's just a sports fan, are you going to bring them in? Are they, you know, are they really interested in watching, you know, the fastest people in the world run races in, you know, under 10 seconds and also equally interested in watching people who are some of the most, you know, amazing endurance athletes run the 10,000 in 26 minutes. And then also some of the most amazing acrobats in the world pole vault. And then some of the most amazing and powerful jumpers jumped those are four different sports yeah. right there that I just told you in one. Yeah. Those are four different sports. It's probably unlikely that you're going to bring a non-traditional track fan in who's going to say, yeah, I'm equally stoked to watch all four of those things. Yeah, and I, I love that point. But before, before we move on, I also want to ask you, like, what are you loving about the sport right now and what's really getting you excited about it? Because I remember seeing you tweet 
because after the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix, Grand Prix uh, last Sunday, you were saying like the 60 meter dash was like, it was a perfect way how they set it up, the commentating and just the graphics all along with it. So what in the sport right now is that you're getting excited about if that is from the athletes or the entertainment standpoint where track is moving forward in a good direction? I think, you know, the most exciting thing is you got some really, really um, exciting young athletes who can make a real mark on the sport. Um, you got some great competition. When you think about, you know, the sprints right now, you know, with Trayvon Brumel, Andre DeGrasse, Michael Norman, Noah Lyles, you know, all of those guys across all of the sprints, you know, really exciting athletes. What 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 I, I like to see is a combination of athletes with some great personalities, which we have right now. I mean, Noah Lyles is, you know, amazing. Mm -hmm. He's the first athlete that I have seen since Usain Bolt came into the sport, who I think is really authentic in their personality. I think you've seen, I've seen a lot of people try to be like, I want to be the next Usain Bolt. And they're trying to be like that, you know, or their own version of that. Yeah. Noah Lyles, it feels authentic. Like he's just, he is, that, that, that's just, that's who he is. And that's, that's refreshing. And from a marketing standpoint, you know, whether it's sponsors or television or, or even fans, you can tell when it's authentic and that's authentic. Yeah. And you can tell when it's not. And there's been a lot of fakers out there trying really hard <laughs> and it just does not come off well. Um, but, but, but what's cool is when you have people like that and, and who also at the same time are in, uh, when you have great personality, but when you have really good competition. And that's one of the things I think is a problem with this sport is that we don't focus as much on this one amazing asset that we have, and that is great competition. Mm -hmm. That's why I was tweeted about that, that 60, because it was set up so perfectly. As a viewer sitting back, you have this anticipation that was being built up as Otto Bolden was talking about hey, this person, you know, this is who they are. This is their resume. This is their accolades. This person was ranked number one in the world last year. This person's got the fastest time in the world this year. This person had the fastest qualifying time today. What that's doing is then setting up the viewer for, hey, I'm about to see some real competition here, as opposed to what we see a lot of times with the telecast of track and field where you got eight people in the lanes and the viewer doesn't know who's in all of those other lanes. They just keep talking about that one person in the middle, you yeah. know, and then yeah, they may mention one other person and then you'll quickly get the start list, you know, but if it's a, if, if you're not familiar with the sport, you don't know who those people are on that start list or what they've done. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that we do to shoot ourselves in the foot is we keep talking about people breaking world records. Are we going to see a world record today? Are we going to see a world record? Oh, we might see a world record. That that's that that that's probably not going to happen, and then it takes away from the one again the huge asset that we have with the sport, and that is somebody's going to win this race. Yeah. And before that gun goes off, we don't know who that's going to be. But for as a viewer, the value is is that yeah, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna watch because I'm gonna get to find out, and it's not going to take that long. So. We, we need to focus on that a little bit more. So when you have great competition, I think we have that right now in a lot of the events, women's 400 meter hurdles, men's 400 meter hurdles, competition in those events is amazing. Women's 100 meter hurdles, always a lot of competition. They're always amazing to watch. And then, you know, um, Shawnee miller Weibo, you know, yeah. you know, Sydney and Delilah in the 400 meter hurdles. And, you know, you got some personalities with that competition, 100 meters, Trayvon, 
the grass, you know. So it's a lot, there's a lot uh, to be excited about right now with the athletes. But look, I can tell you this too, you know, with this sport, the problem has never been the athletes. <laughs> the athletes always putting it down and always yeah. giving you great performances. You know, we still have that. Now we got some really young talent in that space and with some great personalities and some good matchups. So hopefully, you know, the sport can do its job and, and build off of that. Hey, Eric, that's where we come in. That's where we come in, Eric. Hey, no, that's so yeah, that's definitely where we come in and we're we're trying to grind, especially this year, you know, the Olympics, God blessing, God willing. It looks like they're gonna happen. Can you talk about too, like we talked about auto with this, like how big is this important? How important is this Olympics for the world? Like you just named for the US how how many amazing athletes we have, but with everything we went through with COVID, 2020, social unrest, what do you think this Olympics could mean like just for society? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think, you know, obviously this is a global um, you know, issue that, you know, no, no part of the world has been, has, hasn't been affected by this pandemic. And so it's like, unlike anything else we've ever seen before, even world wars, you know, there were areas of the globe that were, were untouched by those and, and not part of those. But in this situation, there's not any corner of this earth that wasn't affected by this pandemic. So, and I think that, you know, the Olympics are, you know, the ultimate in, global, you know, competition and coming together of countries and representation of countries in sport, which is something that we know is incredibly powerful as a tool to to bring people together and sort of, um, you know, make people um, sort of put aside their differences for, for a minute. So I think that the Olympics certainly represents that and, and it couldn't come at a better time. And, and I'm confident that there will be an Olympics this summer, um, you know, Look, the IOC makes 75% of its revenue off of television rights. There's no games. There's no television for those games, and that money ain't coming. So so, so they're going to, by one way or the other, they're going to have that Olympics. And there may not be any fans in the stands, which is fine. You know, it can be a made-for-television uh, sort of event. But um, there, there will be an Olympics this summer, and I think, uh, you know, athletes, um, in, in particular in the sport of track and field, are, are hungry for it and will be ready for it. And, um, and it'll be, it'll be great to see. One of the things that I'm really just from a competition standpoint that, that I'm interested to see is, you know, last year was such a weird year, you know, without a lot of competition, but I don't know if you guys noticed, like athletes ran some blazing fast times last year, yep, some yep. really crazy fast times last year. And, and I kind of wondered, and I had this debate with some friends of mine, like, was it because there was no pressure, you know, there's no championship to get ready for. And if you don't run fast this year, it don't matter. You know, if you lose, it doesn't matter. It was a pandemic. You didn't even have anywhere to train. So people ran some really fast times. Um, and those fast times will give you a hell of a lot of confidence going into this year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. You know, I think we'll be in for some, some really, really good uh, times. I mean, times are are still important in this sport and it just makes for great competition. So I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a really good summer. And then we just saw, we've seen this indoor season already, you know, I yeah. think we're going to have a really, it's going to be a really good season. And, and one thing on that point, I think that's, we, we see like the, the comparison of that, those people that raced a lot last year, like similar to like a Karsten Warholm that was able, he raced, I feel like he was racing pretty much every single weekend once he got into the summer and was able to get so yeah. many, so so much closer and closer to that world record in the 400 meter hurdles. But then 
like a, someone like a Grant Holloway that was tucked away in the cave, hibernating in 2020, comes out blazing American record. So it's going to be interesting. Definitely once like D- Daniel Roberts comes out and races Grant Holloway, and then when Rye Benjamin finally meets up and races against Karsten Warholm to see really where it's at. I, I, yeah, I'm really excited just for the fast times, and I'm excited just to report on it and see everything that that goes down. To be honest, but. Uh, I want to we wanted to also just rewind real quick and just go back to back to your running as well. And just when was that time when you realized that, like, man, I could have like a real future in that sport? Did that not come until when you were at Baylor? Was that before in high school or when was that time where you're like, I I can have a future? I may be able to go pro and I could be I could be great at this. Yeah, I think, you know, I started to have it was I was late. You know, it was my my senior year of high school when I started to when I was being recruited, um, um, that I started to think, you know, dream a little bit more about, you know, maybe having a professional career and even really realizing that there wasn't such thing as a professional career in track and field. I didn't even realize that before then. Mm -hmm. Um, But then once I got to college and I started to really uh, train and start to really get that, you know, sort of, um, you know, training and instruction that I was getting, you know, at that level, my, I'd started to improve so rapidly and I was making huge improvements and that was just proof to myself, you know, that, I mean, it wasn't just a dream anymore. Then I was backed up by times that I was running that, you know, I legitimately can be one of the best out there and compete with the best, not just because I was dreaming it and I desired it, but because I was running the times that, that, that you know, people who are, you know, on those world championships and Olympic teams in the last few years, you know, I was running the same times they were running. So. Um, that was proof to me that, yeah, I can have a career in the sport. And what went into your decision to go to Baylor? Uh, we know the legendary coach Clyde Hart is there. And Joshua was saying, yeah, before we started, how our dad used like his program on us in club track. And he's trained uh, Jeremy Warner, who you managed as well. What was it like uh, being under his under his uh, program? Yeah, you know, Coach is just uh, an amazing coach and, and, and the model for all of the, you know, coaches that I employ now. You know, someone who, you know, has that ability to teach um, as opposed to just, you know, you know, we, we say at, at Michael Johnson Performance, you know, anybody, you know, any idiot with a, a stopwatch and a whistle can, can say I'm a coach, you know, but at the yeah. end of the day, you know, you know, understanding how each athlete is different and how each athlete is motivated differently. They're inspired differently. And, and you have to, you know, sort of modulate your approach to, to building trust and with that athlete, you know, based on who they are and you got to meet them where they are, as opposed to trying to make the athlete conform to your way of coaching and your style of coaching, you've got to work with them. And, and coach was, um, just amazing at that, you know, we had a true partnership, um, you know, in our relationship. Um, and I owe so much to him just from teaching me so much as an athlete. You know, when I when I come to practice every day, instead of him saying, okay, this is what we're going to do today, he would ask me, you know, what do you think we're doing today? And, and, and want me to guess. And then, you know, and I would say, I think today we're going to do this. And he would say, you know, you're on the right track, but no, we're not doing that. We're doing this. And this is why. And I was learning that way, you know, mm-hmm. how he was coaching me and, you know, what the training program, you know, how it works. And, and, and I understood 
that, you know, the better I understand why we're doing what we're doing and how he's de developing the training program, the better I'm going to be able to execute it and the better results I'm going to have. And um, so it was just, that was, a, that was a, a, a really, uh, it was just a great relationship. Our coach was very, you know, just one of the hardest working coaches I've ever seen, always studying, always, you know, even when he was coaching me, he had been coaching for 30 years, you know, at that point already, and he was still trying to learn. And, you know, even, you know, right now, still coaching, you know, today, you know, um, he's still, he's still learning, you know, and, and trying to, you know, he'll call me and ask me, Hey, I saw this, you know, what do you think about this? You know, and, and it's just, you know, it's, he's, he's, he's an amazing person, an amazing coach. And he's been, uh, He's been great for my business, you know, teaching my coaches how to be great coaches as well. Yeah, no, I like what you said there too. Like he was very like invested in you. Like if you're able to go up to your coach and guess what you're doing and he's tell you like, oh, you're on the wrong track, but here's exactly why. He's like, honestly, kind of teaching you how to coach. And he's also showing you that this program is built for you. Like I'm planning out your, your present and your future. But I wanted to ask you to, how did you get into the four? Was he the one that converted you like, hey, because I know you were running the 200 a lot. Was he the one that was like, you're going to be a great 400 guy? No, I mean, I, I so in high school, I was 200 and 100, but I was I, I loved being on the four by 400 meter relay. I ran lead off on, on our four by four. I was always running fast times. You know, that was part of the reason, even though, I was, you know, I was running fast times in the two. I was running fast, uh, lead offs on the four by four, and the coaches saw that I had that potential. You know, when I got to Baylor, you know, I knew that I could run the four, and I would run it every now and then, and, and I would run fast in it. I just didn't run it that much because in college, as you guys know, I mean, you're always getting ready for something. So you know, yeah. indoor season comes, you got to get that qualifying time for nationals. Then you got to mm -hmm. get ready for a conference, and then you know, and right after conferences, nationals. Then you go outdoors. You got to get that qualifying time, you know, and then you got to get ready for conference and you got to be ready for nationals and you're running relays. You just can't go back and forth between the two and the four like I wanted to. Yeah. Um, and and I was trying to, you know, so you got to pick one really in college. You just it's just really difficult. If you're doing one and two, you can't. But two, four, you can't yeah. do that in college. But I wanted to. I knew I could be fast in the 400. I knew I could run. And I ran the 400 outdoor, I ran 403 times total in college. I ran 4523, you know, as a, as a, um, as a sophomore in college, you know, uh, but you got to choose. So I chose the 200 and I knew that was my, that was my race. But I knew once I started my professional career, of course, I'm going to run both. And, and so, yeah, I did. So I started really attacking the 400, um, my first professional year, but and only because that was the first opportunity that I had to run it, but no, it wasn't, nobody had to talk me into it. I mean, I, I want, I always loved the 400, you know, uh, but I loved the 200 more at the beginning of my career. And I should probably save this question, but I kind of just want to ask it now. Cause I think this may, uh, may have helped you was, is that why you think you were had such a longevity in the 400? Because like, we're going to go into like what you just, what, what you did and like how you were so dominant in those races. But like, when I look back, when I remember back to the people that I watched, uh, running the 400, we started with Jeremy Warner, uh, 2004, then LaShawn Merritt, 2008, and then, uh, Karani right, James, 2012. You weren't even born when I was running. 
<laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't. But it's it's crazy because people in the nineties they got to see every single year the Olympics, like Michael Johnson's winning the four hundred, ninety six winning the four hundred, every single world championship winning the four hundred. It's not. It's not like that. Like Lashawn Merritt. Lashawn Merritt had that dominant time, but it's still. The 400 is just so hard, I feel like, to just be, like, dominant over such a long period of time. Do you think because you didn't run the 400 that much in college and you did most of your bulk uh, races, like, afterwards in the pros, you were able to have that longevity? Or what was really just the key to be able to be that be at that such high level for such a long time? Because that, that's insane. No, I think, I think that I, I attribute the longevity to, um, you know, just understanding... And, and, and this took some time, but, but understanding how to get the best from myself at, mm. at, at championships. Um, um, when you understand that, and if you learn that early in your career, you know, then you can apply that each year and then you can just get better and better and better. So I was fortunate to learn early in my career how I get the best from myself under pressure at championships. Mm. And, um, and I was able to apply that. So I, t I, I attribute the longevity uh to that um you know i think um um you know i try to try to teach athletes that now you know whether it's athletes that i encounter at our in our business whether they're nfl guys or nba you know you can if you can learn that early you know how to get the best from yourself as an athlete what it takes for you physically and mentally when you go into those championships you know and the pressure's on and you want to win and, you know, and you're full of nerves. How do you manage those nerves and how do you, you know, put yourself in the right mental state to, to go in there and, and have that best performance at that championship at that time when it really counts, as opposed to having run, you know, you know, 43, five, you know, in you know, Berlin or London or somewhere, you know, the month yeah. before and then get to the championships, you know, and, and somehow, you know, end up at 44-8, you know, mm -hmm. in the final, you know, you got to be able to deliver that, that best performance, you know, consistently, but and most importantly, at the championships. And, and I realized, you know, mentally, how I needed to prepare myself and how I needed to approach those championships in order to do that. And I think a lot of people don't really truly understand that, but you know, it's, you know, I, I needed to be really focused. The more focused, the more serious I was, the more tunnel vision I was, you know, before the start of a race and a warm up and all of those things, the better uh, performance I was going to be able to, to, uh, to deliver. But you take someone like a Usain Bolt. Bolt knows how to, you know, deliver his best. He and I would talk about this completely different completely opposite approach right mm. looks like he's not focused looks like he's not taking it serious but he is and he told me like if i were to do that he's like when i've tried that being really serious like super focused i get so nervous and i'm so tight you know that i won't produce my best performance so he knew that about himself i knew how to get the best from myself it's not one way that yeah. applies to everybody it's different but the key is knowing how what works for you as an athlete. And I was that, that's what I attribute my, you know, my longevity to. And I think, and you look at both and how long his career was and how consistent he was, it's because he knew how to get the best from himself. And a lot of athletes spend a lot of their career still trying to figure that out. And that's where you see that when you see athletes with a lot of inconsistency, like, oh man, this athlete's running really fast. And like I said, you know, you're, you know, 
killing it, you know, a month before the championships, and then you get in the championships and not delivering that time, you know, and wondering why. That's what you get when you don't really, when you haven't developed that understanding of yourself. Yeah, and I think you see that range across all sports. I mean, with the Super Bowl just that just passed, like, I'm sorry, Tom Brady was not playing that good in the playoffs, but he's going to get to the Super Bowl, and he knows how to get the best out of him and his teammates on the day when it counts the most. So I feel like you see that across all sports with the greats. And I think it's a skill that you can even bring into your job, you know, to when you got to do that, that presentation, you got to make that sale. You got to, you know, you got to put your, it, there's something about it being like time, it's championship time. And as a, and if you've had been an athlete before, like, you know, that mode that you got to put yourself in. Um, no, but absolutely. moving forward too, I wanted to touch on your first Olympic experience in 92. So I saw that in 91, you won the world championships in the 200. But in 90, in 92, I read that you had like food poisoning and didn't advance to the final of the two, but you got gold in the four by four. How did, talk about your Olympic experience and like, how did like not making that final in the 200 that year, how much did that fuel you? Cause after that, I mean, <laughs> you were already killing it, but after that, bro, you you were like, you you went on a tear, like winning all golds and all the world championships leading up, leading up to 96 and breaking world records. But yeah, what did, what did you learn from that experience in 92? Yeah, that was, that was, I mean, that was a, that's a, that was a really, really difficult experience. I mean, to be ready to be world champion at that point, I was undefeated for those, you know, two years of my, at that point I was two years into my professional career undefeated, you know, you know, just can't be beat. And so, and, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but, you know, 1988, I was only 20, 21, just turned 21. I had wasn't 21 yet. And, um, uh, yeah, I was 21. Yeah. And uh, sophomore in college, just finished my sophomore year. I, I I was supposed to be on that Olympic team. I was supposed to be in Seoul. I ran 20.07 that year for 200, you know, 10.12, 10.08 that year in 100, 45.23 and split 43.5 on the relay. I was just killing it. That was oh a breakthrough gosh. year for me. Yeah. And, um, and I, I felt like, yeah, I'm going to be on that on that team, you know, in '88, and um, and and got and ended up with a stress fracture at NCAA's, and um, and wasn't able to get on that team, wasn't able to make it through the trials, and um, then to get to '92, you know, everything's great now, realize my potential, world champion, top of the world, and then you know to get there and and um, yeah, and to get food poisoning right before the game started and just wrecked all of my preparation wasn't even able to make it into the finals of the 200 it was a huge disappointment you know and it's kind of like you know as a as an as athlete in the olympic you know in the an olympic sport you know that if you're lucky enough to get there you may not ever get there again yeah. so that's not guaranteed i mean it's but all due respect to you know other sports and i love you know sports nfl nba all of that i love it but you don't make it to the Super Bowl this year. You can try again next year. Yeah, ain't no next year in the Olympics. <laughs> you know, it's four years. Some careers are four years. You know, yeah. so you may not ever get back there. So that's always in the back of your mind. So when I didn't make that final, you know, yeah, you know, am I going to get back here? You start doubting yourself. You know, and it wasn't until I started to really think, you know 
realistically, I allow myself to be disappointed, but then I started to think, you know, wait a minute, you know, Mike Marsh just won the Olympics, the Olympic gold medal. He's never beaten me before. In two years, he's been trying to beat me, still can't beat me. I've never lost to this guy. And he's the Olympic champion. So when the season starts next year, it's probably going to look like the last two years. I'm still going to be beating Mike Marsh <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. and everybody else out there. And, you know, you have to remind yourself that's the, the reality of the situation. So it was very disappointing, but I had to, you know, remind myself that, you know, I can still be the best, you know, uh, I might have to get through this disappointment, but, um, you know, and that's, that's what helped me to get through it. And then I've always, I, I knew about myself what motivates me and I've always been motivated by my goals. And so I immediately set some new goals and just started to focus on that. And that's how I was able to get over that. But look, there's no, there's no doubt in that, you know, that was a huge disappointment, you know, and it all worked out in the end, of course, you know, got into Atlanta in 96 and Sydney in 2000. But at that moment in Barcelona, you got to be realistic. You're like, I may not ever get back here again. And that's, that's, that's devastating. I think yeah. it's important too to honestly be honest with yourself and, and be realistic like no dwell on it but like I think too just I think that's healthy to just be like this is a really like big event and it's a privilege to be here and yeah I might not come back but I'm a, I'm gonna keep on doing whatever I gotta do yeah. to get back like it's because it's very yeah. it's a fragile situation yeah yeah and like how Aaron was saying, like after that, you can't you went on a tear after that. wasn't wasn't much losing after there. Went on a win streak in the four hundred, and you said that was like one of the biggest disappointments and the hardest parts of like your track career. But after that, like it kind of seems like it was rainbows and sunshines, world records, gold <laughs> shoes, everything like that. But was there any other like really hard moments in the midst of like you're still winning races and you're still doing all this? Were there any hard moments in your career where? It just, it was hard to get up some days or something like that. Was there something, it was still like a struggle when you're still winning? Yeah, I mean, I think people don't realize that, you know, when you're winning all of the time, you know, I mean, that's not really what the fans want to see. I mean, like as a fan myself, you know, you were talking earlier about, you know, how I dominated the 400 and then you start talking about Karani James and Jeremy Warren and I, I prefer that. Because uh -huh. that's what fans want to see, you know I mean? Like, I, I could see how people were probably like when I was running, like, all right, I really want to see somebody else win, you know? You know, nothing against me. Yeah. But I could see them rooting for someone else because it's like, he wins all the time. I want to see somebody else win. Yeah, I want to see some competition, you know? Mm -hmm. And so one of the difficulties when you are that person who is winning and dominant is knowing that, yeah, you know, now there are people who are no longer rooting for you. When you were on your way up to the top, everybody was all for you. Yeah. And now someone new comes along and they're rooting for that person. And it's hard to start to separate and think, you know, and because at the end of the day, it's not like they don't like you. It's not like they hate you, you know. They want to see somebody else win. They want to see that competition. Um, so that gets a little bit tough. But then also... Um, you know, one of the things that was really tough for me was dealing with the fact that I started to get criticized late in my career. And, and this is true. Um, you're not going to believe this, but it's true. Media would criticize me if I didn't win races by as much as I used to win them by. 
<laughs> Come on now. And, and I remember, yeah, and, and I remember, That's I remember being really disappointed one day um, at practice about something about that, you know. And my coach um, recognized it and he was like, you know, look, he was like, you have never run for anybody else but yourself. He's like, and our objective is to win. And if you won, you won. And you need to be happy with that and not worrying about, you know, you know, people criticizing you for not winning races by enough. You know, that's the position you put yourself in and that's the bar you set. You set a really high bar and that's the expectation people have. And, you know, but that's their expectations and you've never been concerned with anybody else's expectations. And and I was like, you know, yeah, he's right. And um and that was that's all it took, you know. And that's that that again is great coaching, you know, just recognizing mm-hmm. that, you know, in me that day that I was just not really focused on practice because I was focused on thinking about, you know, I was thinking about like, yeah, why am I still out here doing this, you know, when people are, you know, criticizing me for something as ridiculous as not winning races by enough. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and um but those sorts of things, Jack, you know, you have to have to deal with that, you know, and the, the and the, the expectation as well. Um, you know, you have to deal with a lot when you're. It, it looks like it's all you know sunshine and rainbows, but um, yeah, it it can be tough. And knowing, yeah, that that you know you have, you're you know you're the highest paid. You know, people think you know you hear that you know LeBron James got this contract or whatever, and he's the highest paid or whatever. You know, that was me in the sport back then. Well, now there's all of this expectation, you know. Yeah. Um, that you're going to do amazing things every single time you step on the track. Um, and, you know, you, you can't do amazing things every single time, you know, and you have to, you know, it, it's it's hard to sort of balance that, knowing what the expectation is out there, but knowing, you know, what your goals are too, and being able to be stubborn enough to say, you know what, I'm going to stick with, you know, what I want to do and what I know in the long run is going to be best for me and I'm going to take this hit right now of criticism or whatever it is. But in the long run, I know this is what's going to be best. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't, you can't run great every single time, but you sure, you sure came close in, in your day for sure. Hey guys, I want to jump in one more time and thank our sponsor Tracksmith for partnering with the two black runners podcast that helped us do so much over these past couple months. And they've been able to stick with us through the thick and thin and the great thing about partnering with Tracksmith is the fact that they believe that stories have the power to both inspire the next generation and grow the sport just like we do. And I feel like that is apparent in this Michael Johnson podcast. Be able to hear his story and hear his views on the running world today is something that's just amazing and i feel like tracksmith and us are really all about and if you want to stay more connected with us make sure you guys subscribe to our email list as well you can find it on our website running-report.com and if you want to be more involved with tracksmith because it's a great brand they have stylish clothing it's comfortable and everything like that with your first purchase of $75 or more, you can get $15 off when you use the code CULTURE15 at tracksmith.com. That's C-U-L-T-U-R-E-1-5 at tracksmith.com. I would say too, I was going into it like, so 92, you go through that Olympics and then 93, uh, 93 you get gold in the four and the four by four and 95, that's when we see you do that four two double and you get gold in both. Was that like a tune-up for Atlanta? Were, were you already thinking like, 
hey, in Atlanta, I want to I want to be the double gold in the four and the two. Was that just the plan all along? Yeah, that was a plan all along. And um, I mean, back then, because it wasn't a, a standard double, the two for the, the schedule typically, you know, just wouldn't allow for that double. They were both so intermingled with a, you know, a 200 meter semifinal on the same day as a 400 meter preliminary round, a quarterfinal round, or, you know, it was just all mixed up. Um, and I had to try to convince the, uh, the International Olympic Committee and, and the Track and Field Federation to, to come together and work together and change the schedule in 96 for the games uh, to allow me to be able to do both. And, um, and that was, I was caught in a bunch of a political, you know, issue between the IOC and, the, and at that time, the IAAF. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so the only way to, and, and what happened was, you know, that was, that was a lot of news about that. And the, the organizers for that uh, 95 World Championships came forward and said, hey, you know, you know, they may not be willing to change the schedule for you, but we're going to make our schedule conducive to a 200, 400 double. So if you want to do it, you can do it here. And of course, that then served as an opportunity. I, I always wanted to. And so yeah. of course I was going to do it. But then that also gave me the opportunity. Like if I win both of them, then they're going to have to change the schedule for Atlanta. They can't yeah. not at that point. And then of course I did win both of them and just missed the world record in both the four and the two. And um, so, of course, then that was a no-brainer that they were going to change the schedule. Like you said, so, yeah, you and it gave us an out. opportunity to 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 figure out my coach and I sort of, you know, what what's it's going to you know kind of look like, you know, from a, a a competition standpoint, but also then knowing that okay, now for '96, what are we going to need to do, you know, from a training standpoint, because it's going to be even harder in uh, in, in Atlanta. Yeah. yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I just I just want to get now. I want to talk about those those gold spikes over your left shoulder in the top of your shelf. <laughs> I, I want to talk about those right there. Like, was that is, is that your favorite race? Ninety six in Atlanta. Like, I, th I think that's probably a lot of people's favorite races that they look back on. But ninety six in Atlanta and that two in the four. Would you say those are your two like favorite races and favorite races that you ever ran? It's hard to say. You know, uh, you know, to to call out a favorite because. Um... Each 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 race is special, man. You take, you know, you know, we talked about ninety-two, you know, like at the time when I won that gold medal as a part of the four by four hundred meter relay in Barcelona, I I didn't I didn't care anything about that medal. It meant nothing to me. I was so disappointed about the two hundred. But, you know, now looking back on it and how difficult of a decision it was for me to actually even go out there and be a part of that relay because of how much pain and hurt I was feeling from the 200, yeah. that medal is very special for me. Um, you know, of course, 93, that's my first 400 meter world championship. 91 was my first world championship ever. You know, it's special for that reason. My worst performance championship ever by far was 97 because I was injured. If you go back and look at that race and it at 150 meters to go, my quad, which I had injured earlier in the year, you know, pulls me again and I have to almost stop and I'm thinking my race is over and it let go. But by that time, now I'm in like almost, I'm in sixth place and then I have to start running again and try to get back in the race and I get back in the race and win it. That's That race, time was horrible from by my standards, but that race was very special for me. I, I shouldn't have even been in that race. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they're all special. Of course, 96 was special. It was home Olympics. Yeah, history, 
you know, each one of them is special, man. It, it's really hard to, to, to pull one out. What, and what did it mean, like, that one being in the USA? Like, what what was that like? Because I feel like after 96, when you won the four and the two in Atlanta, with the gold spikes on, I feel like you were already destroying competition before that. But I feel like that is what raised awareness for, like, the average fan. What What did it mean to just be in the U.S. for the Olympics? Yeah, I mean, that was obviously very special to be – you know, and I was really lucky that the timing just worked out where the U.S. was hosting an Olympic Games um, right in the middle of my career. And when I'm probably at my absolute yeah. best, I wasn't so young that I was still a little inexperienced. I was old enough, but not too old, you know, where uh-huh. I was right in the middle of my career in that sweet spot. And that coincided with that game. So it was the timing couldn't have been better. Um, and it was it was it was, you know. It was great for me, um, you know, obviously from a branding marketing standpoint, you know, and yeah. being able to go on from there and, and do great things. It, it's done a lot for me. Um, you know, I, I it, it was, you know, I, I think back, you know, yeah, walking out there into that stadium every round and, it, you know, the, the crowd was amazing. It was just like every time I walked out there, the crowd just would erupt just because I walked out into the stadium, you know, <laughs> that just gave me so, it just gives you so much motivation, you know, and inspiration. Obviously it's a tremendous amount of pressure as well, but I just soaked it all up and it just used it. You know, it was, um, it was, it was an amazing experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just can't wait to see another Olympics in the U S and I can even, I'll just think like the closest thing I could think of is when Mo Farah was dominating and they had the london olympics and he won the 5k and the 10k so have to have like an american double win like that that would be that would be amazing to see in in the home country and i could just see how much excitement it would bring yeah no it was it was an amazing experience and um yeah super excited that um i'm on the uh, uh uh board for the 28 olympics and we'll be Right here in Los Angeles, you know, that'll yeah. be uh, that'll be cool. And then, of course, we got the world championships coming up uh, in Eugene uh, next year. So, you know, some some amazing opportunities for athletes to, you know, to to be able to and hopefully the sport can support this. And that's what I, you know, getting back to that point, you know, you know, the athletes will do their thing. You know, we've got a championship coming up here as a sport. You know, we have to, you know, use that to really try to get this sport back to some prominence and, and put these athletes in a, in, a, in a position where they can really, you know, capitalize on that and where people know, you know, and appreciate their performances. And, and as you, I want to talk about as you start to close out your career and 1999, that's when you, I believe you got the world record in the 400, 43, 18, crazy, mm. only faster, only one man has ran faster than that uh, so far since then. Just 2000, you go out, you win, you win the Olympics in the 400 at that time as well. Like, what was it like after that? 2001, I think you ran like something else, but then after that, you retired. What was it kind of like to just go out on the mount, on the mountaintop, like in a way, like you didn't go back, have like your your Wizards year, like Michael Jordan. You kind of just <laughs> left it and, and and went out like Peyton Manny after winning the Super Bowl. Like, was it was that was that kind of like the plan when you were like after 2000? Like, I, I think I'm kind of just cool. I'm cool now. 
I had decided already after uh, after 96 that I was going to compete for another four years, compete on another Olympics. Uh, my plan was to defend my, my 400, 200 meter both um, uh, gold medals. And um, at the trials, I won the 400 and then got injured in the 200 in the final. So I wasn't able to, to, to make the team in the 200, um, but nobody had ever repeated as 400 meter Olympic champion. And uh, so, uh, that became the goal, and and I and, and I also after '96, I was you know really focused on that world record as well uh, for mm. the 400. I wanted to make sure I got that done before I ended my career. After I did that, and then you know I was like, okay, you know I've got that now. You know there's not going to be really anything else for me to really focus on any more goals for me after after 2000. So I had already decided that that was going to be the end for me. Hey, and switching gears a little bit, we're talking about the 90s. This was like the golden age. You know, we had you, we had Otto Bolden. You you low-key had like a couple like rivalries and beefs. Um, why don't we see that today? And what kind of was that like? Because I was seeing like the you and Donovan, you and Donovan Bailey racing the 150, like the promo shot of you and Maurice Green before that 200 That's is great. amazing. Like, why don't we see things like that anymore? I think it's just because it just isn't the 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 focus anymore again on the competition and incentivizing athletes to compete against one another. I mean, I had all kinds of rivals. I mean, yeah, and I mean, yeah, me and Mo Green, me and Donovan Bailey, uh, Quincy Watts, you know, Butch Reynolds, Antonio Pettigrew, um, Frankie Fredericks, Otto. I mean, I had all kinds of rivals throughout my entire career. Every year, it was somebody else. Mm-hmm. And um, and a lot of times there was, you know, and Carl Lewis even, you know, a lot of times there was, um, um, you know, real beef, you know, there, you know, for one reason or another. But, and then a lot of times, you know, there was a tremendous amount of respect. Like Quincy and I had some serious battles, but there was always a tremendous amount of respect between Quincy and me, you know. And we talk about that to this day, you know, and Frankie and Otto as well, you know. Um, but I think that there just isn't that incentive anymore. You know, those meet organizers wanted those matchups. And, you know, if I can remember going, I can remember, I mean, I always, you know, throughout the season, I'd run so many fours and so many twos, you know. And, you know, in beginning before the season would even start, you know, we would map out, all right, here's where we want to run fours and here's where we want to run twos. You know, usually in a build up and, and to make sure that we we're ready for whatever the championship was that year, whether it was a world championships or an Olympics or whatever. In some situations, we might go to a meet organizer and say, okay, Michael wants to run the four here. We start negotiating. And then he finds out that, you know, oh, Frankie's going to run the 200 here. We would like you to run the 200 against him. Okay. Uh-huh. That's part of the negotiation now. All right. Now we're negotiating right. for me to run a race that I really didn't want to run. But you want me to run it? Let's negotiate that, you know. And they were like, "We want to, we want to make it worth your while to run the two hundred here against Frankie because that's a matchup that our fans want to see, and we know we got to pay for that." Okay, deal. Yeah, that's done. Now there isn't enough money in the sport, even for those organizers to be able to even do that, and they don't even care anymore. It's just like, "Hey, what do you want to run? Oh, I'm gonna run this." Okay, yeah. Instead of, if I'm a meat organizer, I want the matchups. I'm going out actively recruiting and incentivizing those athletes hey come here and run the 100 against the best in the world but if i'm asking you to just do it you know and you're not going to be 
pay well to do it. I'm not going to blame those athletes. You hear it all at the time, you know, people and fans in the sports saying, oh, man, why is he ducking this athlete? Why isn't he running? Would you expect him to just go there and put it on the line, you know, and run in the hottest race of the year and not be incentivized to do that? Yeah. <laughs> why would you do that? I don't yeah. blame those athletes for like, well, hey, if I'm not going to be paid well, I'm going to focus a lot more on just running the races I need to run to get ready for the championship because I know that that's where I need to be ready. And that's when, if I can win there, that's where I'm going to get financially compensated, you know? And it, I mean, look, people don't understand a lot of the behind the scenes stuff with the sport, but it, I, I, it's weird to me because I know the behind the scenes that, you mm-hmm. know, when people criticize these athletes, if they're not being incentivized and they're not being rewarded for getting out there and putting on that show, it's not worth their while to go out there and put themselves through that. I really, I really like how how you brought up that point because I think that's a constant conversation that people always have, like in the track world, and just like fans of just general, just like why are people like ducking each other? And the point that you just made of like people really getting that incentives to do that kind of just reminds me of how UFC has become so successful right now as they're really trying the people are trying to get up and fight the best and it's similar to that boxing mentality as well and i think yeah. get, track and boxing are very similar and in those type of ways and yeah it's a great to hear hear from you just overall but as we just start closing out and these like close out questions and get towards the end we also want to ask too like you you had the world records in the 400 and the 200 but they both went down by the same bolt 1919 and uh in the two and wade van niekerk uh, 43.03 something, something something like that yeah. something crazy yeah. uh but like which were you more most surprised by or what was like most exciting watching that 200 or that 400 or was it equal yeah so the 200 and i was i was commentating right at the time of both of those i was in the stadium for both of those the 200 i mean everybody knew that was going when it because we had seen you saying both that you're just you know you just knew it's like He's yeah. absolutely going to break this world record. And he actually, the first time, you know, 1918 was the second time he broke it. The first time he ran 19.31. I mean, he was just, just underneath it. Um, but um, but that was that one was predictable. Way Van Niekerk, come on. I mean, Otto, Otto, Otto kind of predicted. He thought you know, it might go down. We didn't know who it was going to be. You remember that race was incredible because it was uh LaShawn Merritt, Karani James, yeah. both defending, you know, uh, Olympic previous Olympic champions and Wade drew lane eight out there and uh, you know, out in lane eight, you know, at that point I thought it's still gonna be this is gonna be an amazing race. I, I but I just I didn't I didn't expect the world record. But as I was watching it and I saw him, I knew when I could see what he was doing when he took off, I was like Okay, so he's just going to run all out and he's going to try to hold on and make them try to take them out of their race. And I could see LaShawn getting out of his race because I know what kind of race LaShawn runs. And you know, I talk to him all the time. He trains at MJP. You know, we, I know what he's going to do. And I knew what he was. And I was like, LaShawn's not running his race today. I could tell. So I was like, well, they're probably not going to catch him. But then when he came off the turn, coming home and never broke form, yes, I was like, this is 42 seconds right here and <laughs> yeah. um, 4303 that was definitely both of those records are two records that i always thought would never i would never see really go down i i don't know if i if anyone is it possible to for, break 43 in the 400 because it seems like everybody get injured if they go under 43 4. that's a high level that's high, high performance right there that's high performance yeah. 
I think I, I, I've talked to Wade about this and he thinks he can do it. I, I'm a little bit skeptical simply because he would need to, he physically, he can do it. He has the speed, he has the strength and he has the speed endurance to be able to do it. It's different when you, you're, I mean, he hit everything right that day because he was in lane eight. Mm-hmm. If you're in it, so he was just running and, and which is not easy to do. He was executing. But when you are in the middle of the track, you're executing and you're racing. You're racing the other people. And when you're racing the other people, you're making adjustments and, and that, that, that makes it really difficult. And that can make you end up running slower than you're actually capable of running. In order to run 42, he's going to have to do something he's never done before. Um, it might happen, but um, I don't know. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, I don't know when y'all podcast comes out, but um, today news just came out that he changed his coach. He's with Lance Broman now. Um, That's the coach of, of Noah Noah Lyles, right? And he's talking about yeah, so he'll be training with Noah. That's going to help him a lot, and um, and I think a lot of people don't really know this. What I've gotten to know, just getting to know Wade, is he's kind of quiet, but he's got like beast mode, you know. <laughs> approach to 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 the sport you know i mean he 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 has like that kind of like it's it's very it's it's kind of it's kind of suppressed but it's there where he he's just really ambitious and he wants to make his mark on the sport and he knows that in order to make his mark on the sport for example we talked about this if he wins the olympics this year he will become the second person to defend their olympic you know gold medal but he won't be the first He's not mm-hmm. the first person to break the world record. He's not the first. He wants to be the first or something. He's told me that, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> hey, you know, I want to run 42, you know, and 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 I respect that. I mean, it's basically saying, I want to be better than you, you know, yeah. and 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 he put it in a really eloquent way, saying, you know, it's a, it's an honor to you, but I want to be better than you, and you got you, you how can you not respect that, you know? Hey, and now that since we're just on this topic, I can't we can't talk about the four without talking about Michael Norman. I mean, last yeah, year, stand up. yeah, he, he opened up with what was that like 43 4? And now there's like, oh, wait, what 2019? Oh, 2019. I'm sorry, 2019. But when we had auto two, we were talking about this how there's potential for him to do something that's never done and maybe come down to the one after he's done with the four. Is that something that you can see him doing in his future? He ran a nine eight. He ran a nine eight six in in twenty twenty, and he's ran forty three low already. He's so he's going to be competing at the at the Olympics with Wade. Where do you see Michael Norman in that conversation? I can't wait to see the Michael Norman, Wade Van Niekerk, Fred Curley. You know, I can't wait to see that. Um, I think, you know, that 400 is going to be, if everybody's at their best and everybody's healthy, that's going to be, that's going to be amazing. I think, you know, Michael Norman is a huge talent. There's no doubt about it. I mean, nobody else out there can match his speed um, as a 400 meter runner. There's nobody else out there like that. So he's got amazing talent. I think he's more talented physically than, than Wade. Um, But the one thing about Michael that is a question mark is 
his ability to get into a big championship and deliver mm-hmm. and whether he has that mentality you know and that that sort of mindset you know and and it may be something where he has to mature before he gets there you know or will he ever get there you know it's you know does his personality lend itself to producing the kind of performances that he's capable of and um and we'll have to see that you know we haven't seen it yet um but he had, you know he only had the one opportunity so far the world championships in 2019 um you know and that was a, a, a odd situation where he left a lot of question marks when he sort of jogged you know the yeah. final and and then you know and what was you know he left even more questions with his interview afterwards you know we after he did that though because he was a favorite for a medal there and then you know the questions afterwards he didn't really give a good clear answer that made people go oh okay now i see what happened there was like okay even more questions so he's he's got some some things to to prove but uh i wouldn't bet against him uh because he's got the talent and um you know i've only talked to him once but he seems like he he's got uh he's got his head on right and it works really hard from what i understand and he's coached by Quincy Watts which you know i mean that's mm. that that's a huge huge uh, advantage right there yeah definitely michael norman is one of a kind empire vista marietta stand up most definitely and then uh switching gears real quick this is definitely not really a running question but mj like mj michael i feel like that's such like definitely when you get to such a level it's so elusive you know like i don't know i feel like there's just so many great and goat mjs i'm just curious like who is your favorite mj that's not you like we can go michael jordan michael jackson michael b jordan we can even go magic like or we can go mary jane but from spider-man uh but like who would you say who would say who's your favorite mj that's not you I would probably be partial to Mary Jane first. <laughs> but uh but I'm a Superman fan or supposed to a Spider-Man fan. So uh, but no, nah, I I've always been a big fan of of Michael Jordan just in the way that, you know, that that striving for excellence, you know, I saw that, you know, back in the day, you know, when our careers coincided and you know just being around him. I saw that then but you know i think that most people didn't understand just how deep that went until they saw the the documentary uh yeah. last year you know that that you know sort of singular focus on and and on excellence you know not just you know being good enough to win but being you know um as good as you feel you could possibly be and and um you know i've always appreciated that about him then in terms of his you know uh, understanding of a brand you know as an athlete you know yeah, and how yeah. to build a brand you know that's something that you know a lot of athletes who come after him have aspired to and a lot of us have learned from this is this is another question kind of left field how can you can you describe your experience on celebrity apprentice you had a little a short tv stint and i don't yeah. like a lot of track athletes don't we don't see a lot of track athletes Come on, t- on TV. What was it like just being around all those different I like that show. When Little John was on there, that was like my favorite season with Little John on Celebrity <laughs> Apprentice. It was a great show. <laughs> it's, uh, it, w- it was an interesting experience for me. It was um, right, uh, you know, kind of at a time when um, I had spent so much of my life at that point after my athletic career, you know, building my business. And, um, 
and I, you know, built my television career and, and all of the things that I was doing, I felt like, you know, I haven't really been challenged like I was challenged, you know, during my, my sports career. When I was an athlete, as a track athlete, you never know what the challenges might be. This year, it's a new athlete that you got to beat. Next year, it's an injury you got to overcome, you know, and uh -huh. there's all these challenges that I had to overcome, which is a very uh, rich experience for learning and making yourself better. And at the time that I went on the Celebrity Apprentice, I had been, you know, I think nine years at that point removed from my career. And over those nine years, you know, I was setting up, you know, everything I wanted to do. It's like, okay, I want to do this. I'm going to do this. I want to work with these people. I'll bring these people in. I'll hire them. I'll, everything, I was controlling everything. I was in control of everything, which is a great place to be in, no doubt. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But that doesn't challenge you as much. So I felt like when they approached me originally, I said no. Um, but then the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, that'll be an interesting challenge for me because every day you don't know what's going to be thrown at you and you've got to respond. And, mm -hmm. um, so, so it was, a it was an interesting experience for me. And I, I try to put myself in situations like that from time to time where, you know, I'm challenged to rise to an occasion and something that I don't control. And that, uh, parlaying off of that, like you were saying, like going after new challenges, is there anything else that you want to do, like in the running world that you haven't done yet? Like I seen you wrote a book, like you've done so many different things, managing and everything, being a commentator. Is there anything maybe like making a making a movie? I, I don't know, producing a movie or something or anything along like something that you want to do in the track world that you haven't done yet? No, you know, I think, you know, in, in terms of my, 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 my life and my career, you know, I'm doing what I want to do now. I'm, you know, I started a new company last year, new tech startup, you know, that's interesting. It's kind of, as a, as an entrepreneur, I've been, I've started businesses, but being in the tech startup space is very, very different. Oh, yeah. That was a new challenge. Um, and, um, so far, you know, I'm loving it, you know, um, you know, so, I, you know, when, when opportunities come up, you know, I, I take them on, you know, um, I consider them and decide whether it's something I want to take on. In the track world specifically, um, you know, I, I love this sport. You know, I would love the opportunity to, to give these athletes, you know, the platform that they deserve and be able to take this sport to a point where, you know, you're not complaining about, you know, you know, a world record being number six on the, you know, top 10 list when it, you know, deserves yes. to be number one. But, um, but that, you know, I'd have to see that opportunity. You know, if I, if I ever see that opportunity, I'll, I'll, I'll take it to, you know, to, to, um, to create that, that sort of platform. But, but I, I need to see that opportunity. I haven't seen that opportunity yet, but if it ever comes, I'm always looking for it because that mm. would be my dream to be able to take this sport to a, a, a level that it, you know, that it deserves to be. Um, if, if, if I, if I see the opportunity, I'm going to take it. All right. Well, we're going to, we're going to be grinding. We're going to be grinding for you. Okay. We're going to be grinding. <laughs> I appreciate it. Appreciate it. <laughs> uh, I was just going to ask the next question. We always ask the, who should we have on the next podcast? Any, any recommendations? Um, it depends. So it depends. You guys seem to be, you know, you, you seem to, to talk a lot about, you know, the, the the state of the sport, you know, and sort of how to, and you, you're obviously fans and want to see the sport elevated. I think, you know, having, you know, somebody like, you know, you know, 
a set code or, you know, administrators in the sport, you know, uh, Max from USA Track and Field, have those people on and, 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 and ask them the hard questions, you know, and ask them, you know, those questions, why are these athletes not being, you know, you know, what can we do? What are your, what are you guys plans? What are you doing to try to get this, move this sport ahead? I think, you know, um, you know, your viewers would, would enjoy hearing that, but purely on the entertainment side of things, no allows. Man, I have no he got to come on now. Otto Boulder said the same thing. He got to come on. We gonna, I'm going to DM yeah, him this. Very entertaining. I'd love to see it. So hopefully, good luck with you guys getting him on. Hopefully, hopefully you get him on. And then one more before we get to our last question, because I think this was just really fun. Since we're recording during Black History Month, I kind of want to ask everybody, like, what are your, like, top three favorite Black movies? Uh, we, we were talking about this in our last podcast. Mine's, like, Glory Road. Uh uh what what role balance and uh love and basketball are definitely like some of my top threes i think aaron was saying boys in the hood uh what is what is like some of your top three favorite black movies yeah i'd have to say um boys in the hood is right up there i mean that that's one of my favorites boys in the hood um uh malcolm x Mm. spike lee's malcolm x great movie um and then you know what? Just uh, when I was a kid, uh, those old the old Bill Cosby, Sidney Poitier had a series of movies, Uptown, Saturday Night. There was some really crazy. It's kind of almost almost like the in the black exploitation, but kind of a little bit past that point. You know, mm-hmm. you guys wouldn't know anything about that because you're way too young. But uh, <laughs> look it up, Google that. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to watch that. And then last question, we always ask everybody. It's kind of deep, but I think it's a great question to end because it really describes you. What mark do you want to leave on the sport of track and field when it when it's all said and done and you did everything that you ever did and in the sports world and in life, what mark do you want to leave? Uh, you know what? I mean, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that. I, you know, I'm hopeful that, you know, I mean, as far as my track career is concerned and, and my impact on the sport, I think, you know, that's been done, you know, so it's going to be whatever it is. History will judge you, you know, um, on, on what you did in the sport. And hopefully I left uh, our, our legacy of, you know, raising the bar and, and, and you know, uh, excellence, not just as, a, as an athlete, but as a professional in the sport. Uh, that others can follow. You know, I had some great role models and examples myself and people like Jackie Joyner-Kersey as a, an athlete who, you know, I looked up to and I, when I first got on the circuit and saw how she carried herself and what a professional she was and how she strove for uh, excellence as an athlete. And so hopefully I was able to do that for, for the, the, the next generation that came after me and, and, and others. Um, and, you know, in life, it's just, you know, hopefully you... I've been able to, and still will be able to, to leave a legacy of, you know, trying to leave the world better than I, than I found it, you know, and certainly for me, what's really, um, at, at this point, and, and certainly from now until I leave this earth, it's, uh, it's fighting for, uh, for social justice for, for black and brown people in this yeah. country. Thank you. Thank, I think you're doing all those things. And I think, 
I'm just, I'm so glad that you're able to share this time with us, even with the technical difficulties that we had in the beginning that people don't know about, but we know about. And we're get able- Get it together, man, get it together, get it together. <laughs> we're able to get through it though. We really do appreciate it. It was truly, truly was honored to have you on the podcast, be able to sit down and talk with us. We would love to do something again for sure. And yeah, just, just I hope y'all liked it. I hope the listeners liked it, bro. Aaron, you have anything else you want to say before we sign off, bro? Thank you. Honored to talk with the goat. All right. Everybody, everybody, uh, make sure you go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave a rate us, share it with your friends. And to everyone that listened this far into the podcast, we truly do appreciate you. And you are a day one homie. And we'll see you next time on a Two Black Tuesday. No, I appreciate it, man. Appreciate you guys, man. And uh, keep up the good work and uh, wish you guys all the best. Let's get it. Let's get it. All right.